a historical matchup between number two Penn State, number six Ohio State. We are going to make some history of our own here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. The rest of this episode will be conducted in Spanish. Well, that's not true. But we are going to make some history by offering our first score predictions ever on this podcast, replacing our normal bold predictions at the end of the 3-2-1 breakdown because, of course, it's Ohio State week. There's no better time in the schedule to go big and go bold. Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz, let's just be honest right out of the gate. This is the weekend everyone's been looking forward to for about a year if you're Ohio State, certainly since the end of last season. If you're Penn State, you know, Penn State's undefeated. Everything's on the line. And if you're the Buckeyes, you lose. You're knocked out of the playoff contention. Entire balance of the Big Ten uh, is in check right now. And beyond that, I mean, national title implications, Ohio State, two losses, they're done. Uh, What's interesting here is Penn State loses, they're not done. So I I, I don't know that it it kills their playoff chances, but hey, you're a Penn State fan listening to this. You obviously want to go out to Columbus, make a statement, uh, do something similar to what Oklahoma did to Ohio State earlier this year. But this is the big one, man. This is uh, is determining Indy for Penn State. And And it's funny, you know, writing over the course of this week and chatting with players and coaches and doing all the breakdowns that we have up on the site, you know, every week you want to get into the minutiae. You know, what's going to decide this game? What are the rocks that have not been turned over to find out what's underneath? And I, and I did that largely this week because I just felt like the implications, you know, were so obvious. Everyone knows what it's like. If you've watched FS1 or Fox any one of the last couple of days, whether it's the World Series or for any other reason, like you have seen the commercials for Penn State Ohio State easily 12 times, right. no matter how long you watch, because it's just being driven home. And yet, as I step back here and we, we close the week out and the game is almost here, I felt like it's almost been undersold to a degree because it's everyone's aware. But when you really think about it, this to me is the biggest game of the college football ball season like until we get to the very end when you know you know exactly what must happen for whatever team to make you know the playoff presuming of course everything falls into place you know this is as as big as it gets and I think probably until the last week of the season. Right. When you think about the hype games this year, obviously, uh, you know, Ohio State, Oklahoma in itself was, was a big one. Uh, Florida State, Alabama, which is, you know, looking back is just not a good game at all. Right. Uh, you know, but this one, you know, the, the matchups are there. Um, you, you know what you're going to get pretty much from each team. I mean, seven games in, you know exactly how Penn State's going to try and beat you. Um, there will be some new wrinkles in there, no doubt yes. about it. But uh, but Ohio State, I mean, this is, this is a quality team that does the same thing year after year. So uh, it's going to be a fun one, man. Ohio Stadium is no joke either. I mean, this this is something where that home field advantage can be a big deal. Um, and, and I think Penn State knows that after last weekend when they blew out Michigan. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be fun. I mean, this is this is why you follow college football. Yeah, and I think to my last point of just this is the biggest weekend of the year, to that end, celebrate it. Enjoy it. Soak it up. Even if Penn State loses, like you said, they're still alive in the playoff hunt. You know, of course, this is just a game that does not come around very often, particularly for Penn State. I mean, we, we've said it how many times over the last 12 months. If you just thought back to, you know, whatever – earlier point of the Frank Leonard that Penn State would be at this point. Everyone would have said you were crazy, you know, up until last October. But here they are fighting for a spot, you know, a win here, and you're going to be favored in every other game. Penn State's currently a six-point underdog as we record this late on Thursday, and I don't think that's going to change for the same reasons you mentioned. Ohio State's coming off a bye. It's going to be a blackout, and that home field advantage is something to be taken seriously anyway. So this is going to be a phenomenal showdown. I think that's enough of an intro, the implications. We'll get on to the same rundown for Fridays. We're going to skip uh, Tweet of the Week because Blake Gilligan— <laughs> you, can't, you can't beat that. No, you can't. You can't. We had a Tweet of the Week on Monday, which we normally don't do, but he had tweeted out, was it three airplanes in reference to Quinn Nordine after the big Michigan win? Um, so that was our Tweet of the Week. That will carry over to today. We'll save some time. Yeah. Yes. Quote of the Week comes to us courtesy of Sean Spencer. We'll get to that in a minute, Penn State's defense 
offensive line coach. Recruiting, we have some news there, obviously. Uh, when Penn State has the ball, when Ohio State has the ball, 3-2-1 matchup, and then mailbag. Four questions this week. I think I think our readers and listeners brought it as much as we have this week. Proud of them. I, I mean, if you look at the board, it's buzzing. If you look at Twitter, it's, it's all Penn State, Ohio State. People are psyched about this game, and for good reason. Yeah. All right. On a quote of the week. As I mentioned, this comes from Sean Spencer. I think probably when you look at staff, number one go-to for a good quote. Am I? There's a couple on there, but the chaos is the guy for that. No yeah. Doubt. No doubt. All right. So speaking to him Thursday, he was asked about you know some of the freshman offensive linemen that are on the scout team or what they bring to the defensive line and how much of a step up it's been. And he, without knowing it, kind of brought us in on some of the nicknames that they have for one of these guys. Big and in particular, yeah. yeah, big nickname guy. Uh, and Des Holmes. So Des Holmes, freshman offensive lineman, is unfortunately known as Big Sweat. And here's why. Quote from Spencer, he could be walking from Lash to Huluba, and by the time he gets through the door, he's fully drenched and ready to go. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now, speaking, uh, speaking as a fellow, you know, I would say big sweater myself, not certainly the size of Des Holmes. I, I sympathize with the young man to a degree. I hope this doesn't follow him for the entirety because you've got guys in that offensive line who also have pretty good nicknames. Big Bacon for one stands out, Chaz Wright. But um, he was telling us one time over the summer that he saw Des Holmes in, in 80, 85 degree weather wearing a full, you know, sweat suit and it was like am i gonna have to hook you up to an iv or just give you buckets of water like what are we doing here but that's quote of the week but the other point about holmes too and i know you've heard this he's been impressing with cj thorpe and in practice yeah absolutely Uh, holmes is playing tackle for penn state he came in very raw uh no doubt about it but i think he exceeded expectations shortly after he got here penn state really wasn't sure what to expect from him big big piece of clay to mold i mean his kid's massive um and apparently if he's sweating he's losing anywhere from five to ten pounds of practice but now he's he's massive but he's got better feet than they expected uh better athleticism he came to camp last year did did pretty good and they offered him after that but yeah i mean i i think they're pleasantly surprised with how he's turned out so far we've talked about him a couple times on here he's uh, far from playing I, i don't think we'll see him even next year but uh if you're looking at tackle moving forward holmes is the guy that could surprise some people and he's already done so with the penn state staff Right. Another pleasant surprise for a Thursday afternoon, uh, a commit soon after the whiteout. Yeah, we, we're recording on Thursday afternoon, 345. Franklin's tweet went out. Um, this is something that happened on Sunday. Taquan Roberson, quarterback from DePaul Catholic in North Jersey, uh, you know, committed to Penn State on Sunday night, went public with it on Thursday afternoon, which is funny because we recorded Sunday night and we were waiting for the tweet to come out from Franklin the entire time. But uh, uh, yeah, a good pickup for Penn State. And you hate to compare a kid just because he's short to tra- Trace McSorley but you put on the tape and this kid he's got a lot of what Trace brings to the table he, you know still can get stronger with the arm but but he makes up for he's got very good vision very good accuracy athletic enough you know he's not going to burn anybody in a 40 or anything like that but he's athletic enough to get it done so uh, a good start to the class Penn State would, would like to take two quarterbacks in the class of course Garrett Trader is uh, you know going to continue to rise up the rankings and be a national recruit so Penn State got him in for the whiteout last weekend as well does so, he have you to thank for that so it's very possible because I've been on this hype train for a while now. He camped to Penn State twice this year, and the first time I saw him, I'm like, wow, this kid's a dude. I'm man. seeing so. some Schrader family checks in your mailbox every time we go to record at the house. But no, he, he's, a, he's a player. He is a player. He's a player. He's, he, he sort of you know, he sort of reminds you of Justin Fields, just the way he came onto the to, to the radar. Athletic kid. Uh, still some work to do on his mechanics and things like that, but he's a high school junior, so it's not a surprise at all. But no, Schrader's a kid that can just keep rising up the, the rankings. I don't know if he's a number one 
overall top of the class talent like uh, like Fields, but he can be a top 50, top 25 kid when all is said and done. So Penn State would love to get him back. He's been there three times already. But back to Roberson for a second. The kid is putting up monster numbers in one of the top conferences in the, in the country. Uh, I think 10 touchdowns in his last two games. He can you know he can do it and pull it down and run it if he needs to. But it, but he can throw the ball. I mean he's 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 only six foot maybe like Trace is only six foot maybe. But right. you know he can he can get it done and you know Trace is, is shown in this offense that's not sort of the the stigma that that carries with it in, in some other uh, uh, in, in some other offenses. Two commits now for the class of 2019. Cornerback Keaton Ellis out of nearby State High is also on board. You know you brought up Trader and just real quickly because obviously we wanted to get into the game on Saturday. You know, Schrader's on the radar. You talk about the willingness to take two quarterbacks. Are there any other guys out there from that position that might, you know, step in in the event that Schrader doesn't come on board and they would still, you know, consider at that spot and currently have made some progress with? Not really, because now that you have one in the boat, you've got some options. I mean, you don't have to take two. I I think that's that's obvious to anybody. But at the same time, if it's a kid like Schrader who you've, you know, he's their top target coming in. That doesn't change with Roberson committing. He's your top target coming in. So you you've been on him for a while. Wow, you've established that relationship. You've got him to campus three times. He loves Moorhead, loves the offense. That's obviously one that, you know, Joe Moorhead as, as a hot name, as a potential head coach, that's something you watch there. But at the same time, I mean, the, the offense is staying. So you want to, you know, preach that to Schrader as much as possible. Continue to get him up. He's got an Alabama offer, but his offer list is going to continue to grow. He's having a great junior season. I think he's completing close to 70% of his passes, which if you look at him, you know, he's, he's far from a polished quarterback, but he's a guy that came in at six four and a half he, he ran a four five he ran a shuttle in the low fours I mean it's just the athletic package is there and he can throw the ball on top of that so he he's a guy that I think you pull out all the stops for he, like I said you don't have to take a, a second quarterback but quarterback numbers moving forward you never know what they're going to be because that's such a temperamental position guys transferring and all that kind of stuff sure um, it, it's something that you always have to be aware of and Schrader I mean he's he, he's really good man speaking of six four running a 40 in the shuttle are you uh, preparing it all for our pro day tape and audition that we're going to have in um, March, I believe. Wow. Uh, he went straight at me there. I'm, I'm still working on that, you know, getting yeah. the kinks out, doing a little foam rolling, getting ready, getting the hamstrings ready. <laughs> a little yoga in there. Man, because I can just see my hamstring just blowing out. I mean, <laughs> You're playing hoops often enough, I though. I play where three or four times a week, be, but yeah, yeah, that's a little different than testing for a 40. So. Okay. Well, we'll see how you do Saturday because we're going to play a little media hoops before uh, kickoff, a little inside uh, baseball there. That We will leave it at that. But, Can't uh, wait. Um, three, sell tickets to that. Well, yeah, we should. People I mean, you love to see the media. You would be the main attractor <laughs> over anyone else playing, and that is as much a credit to you as it is a diss on everyone else. But it's it's going to be a fun time. It will be downtown Columbus, also in Columbus this weekend. A bit of a football game. Yes, uh, we mentioned that already. Yeah. Okay. Let's start. Penn State has the ball. Them coming off of a bye last week, forty-two to thirteen, right out of the gates, two touchdown drives. We saw the pseudo Wildcat Saquon Barkley taking a handoff, uh, taking a snap feigning a handoff, and then going 69 yards for a touchdown. The story leading up to it, though, and I said it as much myself, we, we talked about if Penn State could get a draw against that Michigan front, you know, they would be celebrating. They ended up winning. You know, that was a battle you expected to lose. They did not. To me, against Ohio State, this defensive line is another step up. It, it's constructed differently from Michigan because of the scheme, but also the body types that you're going to have to deal with. And typically, they're going to be four down no matter what. Michigan bounced between not and even front. 
that's still the storyline here, and it's not so much a discredit to Penn State's offensive line, which had a great performance, but I think the stakes are higher. I think you're on the road having to deal with that noise. And again, this front is deep, it's relentless, and it's just full of some of the top athletic defensive linemen in the country. Yeah, they're going to throw numbers at Penn State, too. I mean, Penn State has been outmanned and outnumbered uh, you know, when they, they've had trouble running the ball this season. So I can see... Ohio State coming at them with, uh, you know, w- with a couple of different run blitzes and things like that. So, and, and, and this front four, they can get pressure by themselves. They've done it against some some pretty good offensive lines. So, I, I think that's the big thing. And, and you talk about the wrinkles, and, and I think there will be one, or excuse me, I think there will be a few. But I think that the the general sense is you want to try and take advantage of their aggressiveness. They're a very athletic, very fast defense. You can get them moving in one direction and go the other direction. I think that beyond any, you know, sort of flea flicker or Stevens package or anything like that you just want to get these guys off balance and you know we've seen some teams be successful Oklahoma did a great job of that right and that's this team just like Penn State against Pitt has come a long way since week two you know when Ohio State had that home loss and the reason Oklahoma was able to do that you know of course Baker Mayfield had an outstanding performance kept a lot of plays alive with his legs escaping from that front and utilized and relied on an offense that has a lot of RPOs now the systems aren't identical you know some more air raid elements down there um, in Norman for the Sooners a little bit different up here at Penn State, but the Lions watched the film of Indiana in their opening game, then Oklahoma, and of course, you know, the competition since has been watered down for Ohio State, but of course you're going to take elements of that, and I think some of those RPOs are going to come into mention because we only saw a handful against Michigan. It had a lot to do with their, you know, base cover one defense, which doesn't lend itself to a whole lot of uh, you know, opportunities for those RPOs. So I think that's, you know, plays more in Penn State's favor in that you could open up the playbook a little bit more, which isn't to say they had a limited menu against the Wolverines. Obviously, what they did worked, but the rink you brought up Tommy Stevens. I'll guarantee you, you're going to see this two quarterback package again. We've seen it most often in the high red zone, guarantee tight red it, zone. Huh? Yeah, guarantee it. And the, the reason is, you know, again, because of the style of the defense they played. If you look back when it's been featured predominantly, you didn't see it once against Indiana. You didn't see it once against Michigan. Two teams that were playing predominantly man coverage and a little bit more aggressive. What you're looking to do with Stevens to kind of get him out in space and change those reads and mess with the run fits when you've got a guy who typically you're not looking for you know, to catch a ball or to take a jet sweep handoff and do those types of things. And I think because, again, we haven't seen it to date, and again, the style of defense that Ohio State plays, a lot of cover four, cover three, some man in there, will be perhaps the Tommy Stevens pass out of this package because they've been holding stuff back, and now is the time to unveil it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you one bit. I mean, it's it's tough to get yourself up to call that on the road, but we've seen them throw some wrinkles. We saw it against uh, you think USC. Do afraid? No, I don't think Moorhead's afraid at all. I think, you know, the way that they've coached in the past, and this is, and this isn't just Moorhead or Franklin or anything like that, but you go on the road, you know, you hold some things back just because you don't want to turn that ball over, turn it into a pick six, and all of a sudden that atmosphere is, you know, in your face. So I think that's more, that's more of what I'm trying to get across than, than, and Moorhead's not scared of, of of calling these plays. He's, he's not scared of losing yards either. I think that's the thing, you know, people want to talk about the tackle for loss and all that kind of stuff. He's not scared to lose a few yards yards if it ends up breaking something later turning into a chunk play because you know they're all about these chunk plays right and the last team we saw that played predominantly quarters coverage northwestern which tommy stevens had himself you know a game in, in a first half unto itself um didn't see him against iowa which also played a similar defense but this is fast you, you gotta throw something new at them to slow them down some misdirection i think you'll see that and that's what they'll try to offset that disadvantage in the trenches is to try to scheme around it just as you saw with michigan maurice Church jr only had one tackle that's because they're running a lot to the outside 
inside and, you know, able to change some things up with their power read. So I think Ohio State will be prepared because, of course, it has the bye week, all the motivation in the world to get up for this. It's at home. They've got an excellent coaching staff. And so perhaps they don't start fast, but I think eventually some of the things we just referenced will help them get around all those disadvantages and particularly in the trenches. Otherwise, I mean, they're going to, again, have to win their one-on-one matchups. You know, whether they're in this kind of uh, hybrid man zone quarters coverage that they're going to play or they're in man or they're in cover three, you've got to win on the outside just as we saw Deshaun Hamilton lead the charge against Michigan. One thing about this Ohio State team is they're one of the few college football programs that doesn't have to be aggressive to be a fast defense, to be a defense that's around the football. That front four is is so good and and so consistent, I think, that you can stay in your base packages. And we're going to talk a little bit about this with Koa Farmer a little bit later. But you can stay in your base packages and, and do a lot of things because of the options and the athletes that you have in the second level of linebacker. So I think that's that, that's one thing when we talk about what Penn State can do to get around that. It's tough. It's tough to scheme against them, not because they're an attacking defense like Michigan, because they just cover so much ground. Right. They can make up for any sort of mistakes as we've seen Penn State do. You know, we in the last couple of weeks, I don't know how many players have told us, like, listen, even if we miss a tackle, that's okay because everyone else is swarming to the ball. You've seen that exact same thing here with Ohio State. And I think the other part is you want to stay on schedule against these guys. James mentioned it on Tuesday. You look at that front four. They're never more dangerous than in a third and medium, third and long, where they can deploy four defensive ends, all of whom are going to go play in the league and their just point is to go and get after trace because they'll manufacture one-on-one matchups but they're different alignments up front and if you throw a fifth or sixth rusher in there i mean it's just one-on-ones across the board and they're going to get home most of the time anyway in those spots so mcsorley needs to protect the ball he needs to be able to you know sustain and extend plays with his legs which we've seen him do numerous times um, but then it's also a matter of holding onto the ball because you know we're almost 17 and a half minutes in here we haven't talked about the weather once and that's going to play a big role in terms of holding onto the football yeah it's going to be wet. It's going to be cold. It's going to be ugly. Um, no doubt about it. Hopefully, if you're going to the game, you're, you can find some cover or something. <laughs> but uh, High of 47, wind chill of 40, and pretty much guaranteed to see some rain. It's going to be lovely in the box, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that, that that's going to be a factor. You know, Trace is not the, not the biggest hands, and it's sometimes overstated. But, yeah, you got to hold on to that football. That RPO is, is dangerous when you, you can put that ball on the turf pretty quick before you even know it. So, um, yeah, the, the weather can be a factor. I, I think we have a question later in the mailbag about who's it favor i think it favors ohio state wow all the way to the mailbag we haven't even done three two one or when ohio state has the ball mm. you're looking to get out of here yeah always okay very good well th- thanks for joining us everyone <laughs> um going back for a second because actually you confused me earlier about chatting uh with koa farmer we don't have an interview with koa farmer but we will talk about how he factors in with their base defense because you're right you know we'll get into more matches when penn state has the ball but when ohio state has the ball this will be unlike any test penn state has seen before defensively they're the top ranked defense in the country by scoring defense but they've never seen a better quarterback they've never seen a better running back they've never seen a more athletic wide receivers and the offensive line is you know probably the most physical they've seen to date yeah i mean it's there's just athletes all over the place including that offensive line so it it's sort of you know it's it's i don't think that they have the star power i think they're still growing some of that because they've got some dynamite recruiting classes in the last couple of years where you can add some of those uh some of those star power names to to the list but uh, i don't think they're there yet so i think that's the advantage that penn state has is you know you're going to put this on jt barrett jk dobbins fantastic running back but it's all going to come back to barrett if you jump on him and this is one of my key points that 90 to nothing first quarter 
lead. I, I think that goes away. That the shutout streak goes away this yes. week. But but at the same time, man, if you can if you can hold that over, if you can get a lead, this is a team that's not going to beat you down the field passing, and they're not going to probably get out of their um, their offensive look uh, to begin with. So I, I think that the fast start is key. I, I don't think that's saying anything that anybody doesn't know. But if they can get a kick return, get something like that fast, uh, you know that that changes the entire complexity of the game. Now, the other part about this offense and kind of getting Barrett settled down, tempo. I mean, Kevin Wilson has brought this offense to a hyper speed just as he did at Indiana, just as the Hoosiers are now still doing. And I think the fact that Penn State played them within the last four weeks really plays to their benefit because you've already experienced what it's like to go up against a team that wants to snap the ball every 12, every 15 seconds. Now, you're dealing with much better athletes on the outside, certainly a quarterback. But what it's done is allowed Barrett, who is already tremendously efficient, to be even more efficient. When you look at some more advanced metrics, this is the most efficient offense in the country. It has to do, of course, with the strong running game. I mean, Dobbins, one of my favorite notes of the week was apparently Charles Huff, Penn State's running backs coach, predicted, you know, two months ago, according to James, that Dobbins would take over the starting job at Ohio State yeah, before the season him. ended. They loved him. Yeah, yeah. They, they recruited him, they loved him, and now Ohio State has him and is loving him all the same because of what he's, what he's able to do. But getting back to Barrett for a moment, people have long knocked his, his downfield passing, and I think if you look at it this year, it's slightly improved. It's not featured, but it doesn't have to be. They're a little bit more explosive they're still ruthlessly efficient and that's what this offense is particularly at that high tempo where you're more prone to make a mistake than ever before because before you can look at what Ohio State's lining up and doing you got to get your call in yeah no doubt and and they've done they've dealt with this in Indiana last year or the last two years with Kevin Wilson but you you said it man this is a different breed of athlete I mean this is a completely different look you're not uh you don't have a lumbering quarterback like Richard Lega out there um so yeah this is uh this is something that they have to account for Penn State has been you know so good at 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 getting their guys in for third downs and situational guys I don't think you're going to have that that luxury this week now the nice part about this for Penn State is you know the offense is a blend between what Urban Meyer wants to do and what Wilson has brought to the table even outside of tempo is that JT Barrett is running less than he ever has before and that's a note because I think what you need to do of course against him is to have a controlled rush maintain your lane integrity as you're going upfield to not allow him to escape because in the last game against Nebraska that's really where he hurt the Cornhuskers who didn't really have more than a snowball's chance in hell against them anyway but that's where he hurt them most and if you're looking at some of these read handoffs you know typically you're going to want to crash down on Dobbins and teams have been, but he's been handing it off regardless. So I think you can take a little bit more aggressive approach to Dobbins. You know, Barrett is willing to pull it out. He, he's very experienced in those zone read situations, but the fact that he's running it less, I think takes away some of that, you know, apprehension or caution you might have going to get after him. Whereas now you can have an aggressive mindset in earlier standard downs and then come third down, you really just need to close and cage that pocket in around him because that's when he'll run. That's when he's been running and could hurt you most. And right now, if you're Penn State, you have every reason to trust your secondary as much as they're going to face these athletes. They've been one of the best secondaries in the country. Yeah, and, and you, you nailed it. If JT Barrett's going to hurt Penn State this week as a runner, it's not going to be as a design runner. It's going to be when things break down. They, they let John O'Corn get get away last week, uh, times that they shouldn't have. And, and we were talking to Ryan Buckholz after the game, and he, he was talking about staying in the lane. And that's an adjustment that they ended up that they ended up making and being successful with in the second half. And then they sort of t- took over. But Buckholz is going to be very important Sharif Miller I mean if you overrun something you got to get back in that lane get you know don't let him outside don't let him up the middle and of course those tackles have to hold it up so yeah I think he's he's much more dangerous as an improvisational guy coming out of there um, you know you, you want to focus on on Dobbins you want to crash on him try and meet at the mesh point if possible but yeah this is 
is uh, it, it, it's a dangerous offense because you know one, one step and, he, and he's athletic enough to go. And I'll make one more note to amend that because this is a tendency that goes back to Urban Meyer's days with Tim Tebow, Florida. When they're in third and short and they go empty, you can count on a quarterback power or quarterback inside zone coming most of the time. And, and it's one of those things where you know it's coming, you can't stop it, and it's just a matter of they're going to get a good push up front, and you got a guy back there who's about 230 pounds, I think, just plowing ahead. So run full speed in the yeah, line, that, it works. Yeah, right. It, especially now, like you said, the, the tempo that they're going at, this is going to be an issue. But it's one of those things that they go to. They have success with, and it's something to keep an eye on because we're not saying JT Barrett's not going to pull about out on the ball out on these zone reads, and he's going to take the ball on his own sometime in third and short. So keep an eye on that. That leads right into our three, two, one. First matchup I want to go to is that defensive line containing JT Barrett. I mean, they, they work specifically this week on, on certain cage drills, as, as James described them, and what those really have to do with is you kind of get to a spot upfield because typically offensive tackles with their pass sets are going to drop to about four yards and then stop. So you just have to beat them to that. Spot spot in terms of your get off and from then it's a matter of controlling the tackle as you kind of push him back and squeeze the pocket if Penn State lets JT Barrett you know escape obviously it's going to be a problem that also means they're sustaining drives and you know again in this rain that means he doesn't have to throw further downfield which lends itself to more Buckeye success offensively last year in state college Penn State was able to get pressure with four and and really just do a number on him and then of course they brought Cabin and they brought uh, Brandon Bell at times so um, you were able to do that so if they can get pressure with four that's fine the thing that scares me about the Ohio State offense is those short passes those drags that just get in Paris Campbell across the middle because if you go back to that Indiana game they were in trouble for a while and Paris Campbell you know dropped that big pass down the field but man they caught him in the in the flat probably about a a four or five yard pass and he turned on the jets he's tough to he's tough to catch so uh that's that's probably the the concern there uh with with the defensive line is getting to barrett in a chance that you don't have a guy you don't have the uh you don't give paris campbell or somebody a chance to go from one side of the field to the other and you know drag your guy across the field and get open right and along the lines of last year second half of course they dominated and obvious passing downs that that final drive was just sack after sack after sack and the right tackle isaiah prince was really Really the weak link in pass protection a year ago. I remember writing about it before the game saying if there's going to be one weak link in this offensive line, it's going to be Prince and it's going to be in these situations. Lo and behold, that's how the game ended. Prince and the entire offensive line has gotten better in pass protection. I don't think they're still an elite level. Uh, for Penn State, you know, so far your pass rush, you got Shaka Tony who's leading the team with four sacks. Otherwise, you're looking at about a dozen guys with at least one. So the pass rush has been well spread out. But if Tony gets a look across from Prince, I think that's a matchup you like if you're Penn State. Yeah, absolutely. And he's done it, like we said, he's done it more than just the speed rush. And Prince is a big, big guy. Um, but yeah, if you can get that, that 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 strong arm up against him, I think he got a shot. And, and Tony, I think we see a little bit more this week. You, you hope that he's, you know, as disciplined as he needs to be. We talked about those running lanes earlier. But yeah, he's just out there to get to the quarterback. He's done it very successfully this year. I think that the pro football focus stat had him, uh, what, 18 pressures and 52 snaps or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal hit rate. And he's just uh, he's fun to watch off the end uh, aside from that yeah. we've been talking special teams yet so let's do that right now second matchup to watch for me it's a kickoff team this is an area that Ohio State's not great in uh, Penn State has been better with Tyler Davis and their coverage teams have been outstanding but you know where field position plays such a big role in any game it's going to play a tremendous role in this one I think again with the rain you know who can best just simply do their job and not allow any breakout returns and this is where Saquon Barkley comes into play I mean will he get all of his yards from scrimmage uh, you know on offense it's, it's, it's hard to say but 
But yeah, he can be a, a, a dynamic returner. We saw it against Indiana. We've seen flashes of it. So, you know, they're, they're going to account for him, no doubt. But he gets a seam, man. That, that could change the game real quick. Paris Campbell has done very well for them, too. He, he doesn't qualify quite yet for in terms of national leaders in kick return average. He's well above 30 yards. But once he has a couple more, he's going to qualify. I'm not sure it comes in Columbus. You're looking at miles or winds that'll be 7 to 10 miles per hour for game day. But if he does get one, again, he'll be probably the most dangerous return man they've seen since Quadri Henderson. Huge game for this coverage team, and they've been very, very good all season. Um, you know, Tyler Davis, can he get it there or not? It, it remains to be seen. But, yeah, huge week for this coverage team. Irv Charles, Nick Scott, uh, you know, Aaron Monroe was back at practice this week. So uh, I definitely think that that's a, an underrated matchup, and I'm glad you highlighted it. Yep. On to the last matchup, number three, we talked about it right at the outset for when Penn State has the ball. The obvious one. Yeah, the offensive line versus the defensive line. This played a large role, I'll just say, in, in what I thought for my prediction, considering how Penn State played a week ago. And, of course, Ohio State, what they bring to the table. Nick Bosa, you mentioned pressures for the season. He's got 17. That leads the Buckeyes, and they've got a lot of teammates who are right behind him. You know, again, being on schedule and, and forcing them to at least consider run second and third down, I think is going to be a huge part of this game and how well they're able to win up front. Will Fries has been getting, getting better and better, but, of course, the competition has been rising with him. No doubt. And Connor McGovern, first uh, game as a center, snapping in in an atmosphere like this. So uh, I I was close. I was one thing. The horseshoe, two top ten teams is another. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. Of course, the you know the the clap counts and everything like that. So. you know the young nucleus. You got you got McGovern there. Well, excuse me. You got Bates. You've got McGovern, and, and you've got uh, Gonzalez right beside him. So that's uh, that's going to be a lot of pressure on those three guys. There's not much more to say, no. too. I mean, I think Brendan Mann played very well against Iowa State a year ago. They, they only had seven completions across the line of scrimmage uh, against the Buckeyes. You know, you're looking at a secondary that graduated three first-round picks, so you're not going to be going downfield a whole lot against them. But again, it, it speaks not only to the secondary they had a year ago, but the team speed, which we mentioned, has carried over. So it, it's going to you, you need to start up there if downfield they're going to be able to have any success. You know, Ryan Bates again. I've mentioned this many times before. They're still working. At first full season at tackle right. so there's a chance for an improvement but there's also you know a lack of experience there as much as you go you feel good about your left tackle spot if you're Penn State they're, they're still growing still evolving and, and now you really need to bring your best game ever uh, on the road and that pressure is going to be there and I think that's where Mike Jasicki can really help them out um, he can you know he can chip he's not a not a blocker by any stretch of the imagination but if he can get a you know an arm or a shoulder pad on a guy and then leak out to the flat or something like that it could really help McSorley out a lot you know what's funny too I, I actually tweeted out that stat they only nine completions completed across the line of scrimmage the last two years against Ohio State. Again, different circumstances this year. But Gasicki had four out of their seven a year ago. He only played half the game because, you remember, he got hurt and then right. was able to come back late. But he led the team with four catches, and the next closest guy had two. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. I, I think he, he, someone pointed out quickly that it's not a uh, – it's a pretty worthless stat. But it, Oh, but well, itself, people hated it because yeah. it doesn't speak well to Penn State. But, I mean, you, you think about that. <laughs> nine completions across the line of scrimmage in two years against any opponent. Yeah, well, one and one. I and guess. it was also <laughs> okay. You're among, you're among the people that hate my stat. Well, I don't very good. Hate no, your no, stat. no, reveal it's, your it's true a, colors here. It's just a stat. It's a number. It's a situation. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'd find that in, in, in any other matchup in the last two years. No, probably save not. for maybe Rutgers against anyone they played. Or, All right, oh, so wow, shots. Yeah, wow. You're gonna <laughs> end up on that Rutgers board that was really mad about that game day. Listen, <laughs> listen. If I wasn't there before, then they haven't been paying attention to me or listening uh, since I was a student back at UConn. Uh, but it doesn't 
doesn't mean anyone should go digging. Now, moving on, two concepts. <laughs> um, you mentioned the drag routes and how big of a – it's really a foundational role they play in Ohio State's passing game. It's a lot of Kevin Wilson's influence. Ryan Day, their first-year quarterback's coach, he's a Chip Kelly disciple. And the concept I want to start out with is a mesh concept, which is essentially built on two crossing drags. So you imagine one receiver on either side of the line running towards the middle, and at some point they're going to intersect and really come so close that you create this natural rub kind of pick action and they continue to go in their opposite direction opposite direction so the difference with ohio state's mesh and you see this a lot in the nfl still and across different college teams but it works very well is you've got that natural mesh so you've got two drags going across and then in opposite directions the other side of the field but on one side an outside receiver will follow the inside receiver running the drag and then stop at midfield as he's running up above him and curl back. So it's essentially two underneath routes and then a, a, a curl that extends across the field diagonally and stops behind them. So yeah. you're stretching the defense you know, at a couple of different levels and then creating a lot of traffic there in the middle where if they follow and follow those drags across, you've opened up space in the middle for that completion just behind it. <laughs> Yeah, those levels, they, they just clear out of space, and we, we've seen it. And, you know, the first uh, the first option is going to be those guys on the drag. They catch it and go just like, you know, because they can run. But, yeah, you can move those sticks. They've had success with some of their bigger receivers out there. Um, you know, and, and some of the bigger receivers are younger guys, no doubt about it, but uh, talented guys. And, and I think those are the guys that Ohio State fans are looking to to break out in, in this in this kind of game. Yeah, so this is something you'll see when Ohio State goes two by two, two receivers to the opposite sides. Again, the inside receivers, it could could even be a and Marcus Baugh does this pretty well just in terms of shielding off those linebackers, running crisscrossing drags, and then an outside receiver basically goes diagonally across the field, stops once he gets basically above the center, turns around, and if it's open, you know, that's great. It's kind of a, a triangle concept, you know, and it goes back to Chip Kelly. This is a staple for him uh, with his passing game with Oregon and then with the Eagles. So moving on to the second concept, I already mentioned this. I guarantee you're going to see the Tommy Stevens package. You know, again, I don't know if it'll come in the red zone where we've seen it mostly or whenever it will come, but I, I think it's something that, you know, they've used on and on. Off. You know, they don't really use it much against man coverage teams. Ohio State, you want to unload all your wrinkles. This certainly falls under the wrinkle category. And he's been really effective, not only just the fact that the package has been there, but, man, he's been really good. Yeah, I think that's the key thing is it's not it's not the gimmick where, you know, you pull it out and, you know, it's it, it's ineffective, but it's a different look. Tommy Stevens has been really good. He runs really hard. We've seen it. We know he can throw the ball, so that adds a different dynamic to it. And, you know, it's just uh, it, it's something that if you're going on the road, you know, it, we, we mentioned this earlier, you want to have a tendency to be conservative. Uh, all coaches do, but at the same time, I think they trust Tommy Stevens enough to put the ball in his hands in, in a situation like this. Three down, two down, one to go. This is our prediction. We said at the outset this will not be just a bold prediction. It will be a final score. And we're going to make you wait. On to the mailbag. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, you tease it already. Uh, who does the weather favor? My thing with this, whether it's weather or some other factor that's going to play a role in the game that you know is, is unusual and forces you to ask this question, is like, listen, both teams are going to have to handle this. I think you know Ohio State already was in you know a team that relies on its downfield passing game. Penn State has thrown deep half as much as it did a year ago, so they fall under a similar category, but they've still been effective at it. I think ultimately, whoever you know handles the basic things better, obviously is the one who's going to be better off with the rain, with the wind. James was not concerned about. It. I asked him if there are any extra precautions that are being taken. He goes, basically, we're doing wet ball drills as we always do, and that's about it. 
snapper holder kicker very important Huge. this week um you know you, you, if you just get a bumble or something you still get the ball down but you give ohio state's defense uh, or their special teams unit an extra half step that's the difference in a block so uh, the special teams unit and, and, and the flip side too i mean penn state's special teams have been very good so um you, you know you give them that sort of advantage and, and something can happen so um i don't think it's a huge advantage as you mentioned both teams got to got to play in it so uh, i don't think it's a huge advantage for either way i would go ohio state they're home so that probably factors into it a little bit more but yeah i don't think it's a i don't think it's as you know it's a big it's not prevalent yeah it's, yeah it's not huge so next one uh mcsorley has a monster game in the win and barkley's held in check does he vault into heisman contention i think we both say no i mean it's it's uh, it's a little bit late for that i think yeah i think it's you know, even for us as people who work in sports media and have to follow all these different topics, it's really difficult to get a proper gauge on not only where does Penn State stand nationally, but just everyone else who's in the conversation. I mean, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head Baker Mayfield's exact statistics or Mason Rudolph's exact statistics. Luke Falk was falling out of the Heisman conversation, but those in my mind would be the two quarterbacks you're looking for who would be in the Heisman conversation. But you kind of got to feel that they're certainly ahead of McSorley, partly because of the offenses they played in and the fact they've been in more competitive games. So it's not a knock on him. But I, I just you think about the season they've had to date. Uh, I don't think that's the case. But even without knowing the statistics, the fact that he is a little bit further back and you see how much hype for Barkley, one game's not going to change that. Um, and you still got Bryce Love out in Stanford, who's a game time decision for them this weekend, by the way. But it's just you know generally difficult to say. But the fact that I, I feel comfortable saying no, I think speaks volumes to where he is in relation to the other quarterbacks. And, and what are the odds of, of McSorley having a huge game and Barkley not being a big part of it? I mean, just I mean he that yeah. the odds favor that's going to happen. And, and Barkley, speaking of Heisman, can can almost not, not sew it up, can can solidify himself and give himself a bigger lead with a big game this week. Yeah, I think the only way you would take an even bigger step is if Bryce Love misses his game Saturday and Barkley goes off. But who knows whether either one of those will happen on their own. Next question. Uh, going back to week one, Indiana wide receiver Simi Cobbs had 11 receptions for 149 yards and a touchdown against Ohio State. It seemed like their defensive back struggled with size. He's about 6'4", 220. Do you see any of Penn State's bigger wide receivers like Jawan Johnson or Irv Charles being able to pose similar problems for them? Uh, we've talked about Irv just on Monday, I believe, and just about his role within the offense. It's it's still going to have to take some time, so I would, I would rule him out, only playing a handful of snaps per game. Jawan Johnson, though, I think this is where, if that was going to happen, it would be with him. That being said, I think Ohio State secondary is much more experienced than it was in week one. The young guys have grown up. And, you know, Juwan working against similar similar caliber cornerbacks against Michigan a week ago held to a handful of catches. I don't I don't think their matchups that they're going to look for are going to be to him on the outside. Yeah, I don't think it's an overwhelming advantage or anything. I think uh, if Juwan Ju, Johnson was a guy that could step up and break out, I mean, it's certainly an opportunity for him to do so. But I'm looking at Mike Jasicki as a, as a potential matchup problem for that secondary yes. more than anyone else. So, um um, maybe not so much on the outside, but yeah, you can you can match him up against pretty much anyone, and, and he has an advantage in the NCAA. So I, I look inside at, at Jasicki more so than Johnson, but Johnson's got that that opportunity. We saw him last night after practice; they were working on a lot of contested drills. So I don't know if they're expecting to see a little bit more man this week, but you know, Jasicki was holding uh, Johnson's arms down until the ball was thrown, and he was trying to make those catches. So trying to 
get through that uh, that that hump, be that go-to guy. Excuse me, I have a crack in my voice. Uh, be that go-to guy, and if he can do it, I mean, that can really help out Penn State this week. The other part about this is they're similar size, but Simi Cobbs, man, he is just a different kind more of experience too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he's more seasoned. I think you know, Juwan Johnson certainly got the potential, and will get looks at the next level. But Simi Cobbs is a guy who you know is already taking early round consideration from you know, albeit media scouts, but people who follow the draft closely and go, this this kid can ball. So um, it's a credit to Cobbs, and, and I think Ohio State secondary is better. And I, I wouldn't go out on a limb to say Juwan's going to break out uh, here against the Buckeyes. Last question: Do you see us more? Uh, what does this say in base defense with Koa Farmer on the field, or more of a nickel look to start the game with Haley in the slot? This is our non-Koa Farmer interview question that I alluded to earlier, and, and hopes to clarify. Uh, Koa Farmer is going to be in there first and second down. This is a defense, an offense that going back to again Urban Myers' earliest years as a head coach is, is founded in its running game. You know, I think they're best when they, they're posing that threat of either um, Barrett or Dobbins taking the ball. You know, if they can assert themselves. You know, physically up front and, and establish the run. Penn State's in trouble. I wrote about this after Michigan. I think the one weak spot you could say is probably short yardage with this defense and needs to prove itself. You know, the other part about Farmer is that he's in there at the same linebacker because he plays, you know, again, a hybrid safety linebacker spot, but he has the speed necessary to play in space. And I think that's a big advantage when you're going up against a team that has all these athletes. So Farmer will be in there, um, you know, unless Ohio State really breaks tendency and goes kind of a four wide look. Only at that point in early downs do I think he would come off the field. I agree. Farmer, we talked a little bit earlier about Ohio State and how they have so many options in their base defense because of how athletic they are. Koa Farmer is that flex guy for them, for Penn State. So um, they have the ability to you know move them out a little bit further than a traditional uh, linebacker and, and still play in the slot and things like that. So I do expect, you know, based off of what we've seen from Myers' offense and a little bit from Wilson, that Koa Farmer's got to be your guy, um, you know, if you're trying to do what you do on defense uh, on, a, on an every down basis. Going back, you mentioned the importance of yards after the catch, and this was a stat I had pulled up and I forgot about, but I want to get it in before we close out with our predictions. It's really important to tackle well, and I think that starts with Farmer and early downs and on passing downs, guys like Hanley coming out of the field, Imani Oruarie, because they're top three wide receivers, Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon, and K.J. Hill in terms of, um, you know, I think yards after the catch receivers. You know, Dixon's further down there, but they do averaging 27.6 yards per catch. Their total yards, more than half of them, are all coming after the catch. Like these are speedsters. You need to catch them. You need to wrap them up. For Campbell, more than 80% of his yards are after he has the ball in his hands. Yeah, Tackling yeah, is going to be run. paramount yeah. <laughs> uh, in this game. All right. On to the finale. And it's worth noting that we do these separately, and then I send them in to Andrew, and he takes care of everything. And, yeah, you. I'll let you go first. Oh, well, that was a mistake uh, because <laughs> I thought you were going one way. I have 31-27, to 27, Ohio State. I have 31 to 27 as well, but I have Penn State winning. Ah. Coincidence. Yes. I thought you were going to uh, reveal, as I will now on my own, that I had Ohio State by a wider margin and then closed it. And then lo and behold, that's exactly what you had. As to say that I had copied you, which I have been blatant about sometimes on Twitter as a joke, but <laughs> that was not the case here. So I appreciate you not outing me as I've done for myself um, and now regret. But yeah, let's talk about this a little bit because I think there are a lot of people who are split about this game and deservedly so. I'm certainly one of those. I mean, it's it can, I, I go back and forth on this four or five times. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I think when you look at the matchup that you have here, again, two teams that are 
are so even as it is. You look at certain factors like luck, weather, a bounce of the ball here, a missed tackle there, Paris Campbell going the distance, Saquon Barkley going the distance. When those small things can play such a large role, I think even if you get the winner wrong, which again isn't setting myself up for a cushion of like, I didn't know. It's just close games, things happen. And, and that cannot be predicted or explained ahead of time. And I think that's probably what we're going to see here. I mean, if you go back a couple of years, I think it was 2015 when Ohio State lost to Michigan State at home in similar rainy, cold conditions. Michigan State was a much worse team than Penn State is now. I mean, no one really saw that coming, them going into Columbus and winning. But there's no question that weather played a factor in that game. I think it's going to play a factor, not as large in this one. But, you know, uh, if Penn State loses by more than I predict, again, just four points, 31 to 27, say it's 10 or even even, you know, 14, 17, but some of those things happen. I think you got to take away from this game the process of it and not so much the destination because I think some fluky things could go on just as they can every week in a college football. Well, the process is something that I think Penn State fans, uh, you know, given where they're at right now, you know, they, they obviously want to come out with a win. They obviously want to, you know, secure that trip to Indy almost, you know, obviously a big, big trip to East Lansing next weekend. But at the same time, the process, man, uh, where James Franklin has this team right now and where, where Joe Moorhead and Brent Pry have their, their respective units right now, far ahead of schedule. So I think that's that's the big thing to take away from it. Think back two years, uh, seven and six, seven and six. I mean, that's that's a huge uh, a huge hat tip to the staff and, and these players. So I have Penn State winning. I, I like their matchups on offense. And like I said, I, I, I love Ohio State's talent. Um, but, you know, this is a team that's been vulnerable at times. So, um, you know, you, you you never know what's going to happen when you go on the road, especially a, a fantastic stadium like Ohio Stadium. And I know there's the stigmas about the, the crowd and everything like that, but it's it's one of the college football's best venues. So, um, but yeah, I, I like Penn State's offensive matchups. I like Trace McSorley to, to to get it done. If he protects the football, I think they can win this game. I think it's a very good point. I think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I think they're certainly going to allow points in the first quarter, probably trail after the first two, if not three, but it's going to be close. It's going to be a phenomenal game. You know, I hope that the factors I just mentioned, a ball popping loose here, or the rain affecting it don't occur. Um, but considering their bye week, considering they're at home, considering they have more motivation than anyone could in a game at this stage of the season, I think that's ultimately what kind of gives Ohio State the edge. And again, they're a little bit more explosive on offense this year. Penn State cannot drop down, play cover three, rotate that safety down, shut down the run. Um, I think they'll have a similar game plan, but, you know, they just got some weapons out there. And it, it, whoever wins this, I think at the end of the day will deserve it. And I think that's what you're looking for from big games like this. Turnovers, tackling, and special teams. Absolutely huge this week. All right. Well, this has been fun. I can't wait out. Wait to get out to Columbus. Uh, and unfortunately, you're driving. I am driving. You apparently don't own a map. I think I'll get there quicker than, than you fly. But uh, Yeah, but you, you will not have to do film breakdown as soon as you get back on Sunday, which I cannot do from a car that I'm also operating. So uh, I will do that uh, coming back on Sunday, and then we'll have full breakdowns and everything as we always do, including here on the podcast. We will see you on Monday. Number two, Penn State. Number six, Ohio State. Should be a doozy. We'll recap it all, and we see you in a couple of days. Ready?